Welcome to the audio-only version of this week's pop-up submission show. I hope you enjoy it. We love you to join us for the live show on YouTube every Sunday at 5pm UK time. YouTube.com slash Litopia. Oh yes, the future is now. At least it starts here for one or two lucky authors, I think so. Nice to have you with us. Let's see who our guests are this week. <gasps> She's published by another frequent guest right here on Pop-Ups, Bella Pearson, very famous publisher she is, and she's one of the most highly creative authors we've had the honour of hosting from somewhere up north where it's raining right now, here's Louisa Reed. Yeah, you've heard her wonderful narrations on Pop-Ups, and now you get to see her not wearing her day pyjamas. Yeah, today, <laughs> Ali G is in the house. <laughs> Hello, Louisa. Um, I'm just assuming it is raining outside at the moment, is it? Well, it was grey earlier, but it, I don't think it was actually raining. It's dark Ooh. now, I can't tell, can't see. All right, break out the fireworks, fantastic. How are you doing under these very strange circumstances? Because we know, apart from being a, a, an extraordinary writer, which we'll get onto in a moment, you also teach, don't you? How's the teaching going? Uh, it's going, it's happening, it's hard work, it's exhausting, but we're managing, we're soldiering on. As teachers always do, we always just get on with their job, despite what everybody says about us being moaning, whinging yeah. Um, people. Yeah, who it's unfair, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, is. Totally. We're all get, we're getting on with it. So you're doing it all by Zoom. So can you see if little Johnny back in the uh, fourth row is um, is actually doing something rather unpleasant with a piece of chalk? <laughs> Fortunately, not. I can't see any oh, into anybody's households, and don't know if they're picking their nose or whatever they're doing. Uh, that's that's uh, by the by. Wow, sounds like a charter to uh, to bunk off to me. You got a book for us this week. Um, yes, the book that I enjoyed, I've been reading this week, is called Shuggy Bane, and I'm sure lots Oh! What am I doing? What am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing? Uh, I'm giving all my tricks away. Oh, so sorry. Go on, uh, Louisa. So sorry. Yeah, it's the book the winner, as it says on the, on the, the cover there that you've got up. Yeah. It's amazing. It's a beautiful book. Um, very, very dark, very, very um, raw. Um, but at the same time, says so much about the power of um, family relationships and a son's love for his mother. Uh, it's right. really good. Okay. The, a recommendation from you is a recommendation indeed. Ali, same question to you. Actually, we know what you're going to recommend, don't we? We know. I'm not going to pretend we don't know. This is your book. Tell us, tell us about it. Um, it, it's a collection of all sorts of bits and pieces from all sorts of disciplines of stuff that you feel you really did used to know about oh. science or art or, you know, literature, whatever. And uh, it's actually just quite a nice flick through pickup book. And you do, you go through it going, oh, goodness me, of course, you know, I'd forgotten about that. It's a great concept, actually. Yeah, I can see. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a very commercial fun, concept. Yeah. Dare yeah. I say yeah. it's for readers of a certain age? Possibly, yes. Mm. Yeah, no, that might be that might be correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, thirty-two like me or upwards. We've know. got. I won't say highbrow. We've got certainly middle brow. Definitely middle brow there, and we've got fairly low brow. But that's fine. We like that. All books. <laughs> two great recommendations from two great guests. Now then, make a priority submission at priority.latopia.com. Please do that. Please do that. You will get on the show much faster than otherwise. And you give us a little, tiny, little smidgen of modest financial support that we do appreciate. This is what we saw last week. And if you remember, it was a very, very tightly contested show uh, with all of the submissions getting threes or fours from the panellists. And of course, the genius room always with us. And the winner last week was Deborah Cooper's Life Paper. Contemporary fiction we all liked a lot indeed. But what did you think? You are the people who buy the books, and this is what you decided. Yes. It was different to us. As it turns out, you favoured Anna Hursley's Life's Too Short to Tiptoe, a blend of 
psychotherapy. It's good. It's a good combination. Eroticism and, yes, indeed, middle age. Second time we mentioned that in about two minutes. What sort of show is it going to be today? Very, very commercial format. Congratulations, Anna. You did well. Should we see? Um, should we dive straight into our first submission today, shall we? All right. This is from someone whose name is somewhat familiar. Chris Ugai. It's sci-fi and it's called Bird Limers. Ah, uh, you've got one of those QR codes there too, so you want to scan that and you will go to whatever recondite corner of the internet Chris wants to take you to. This is Chris's blurb. Bird Limers is a story of the islands. A family of thieves who occupy a very peculiar niche in London's Demimond. They steal time. I like the idea. I like it. Let me tell you about Chris. Now, you've heard Chris. She's one of our wonderful narrators. She's one of the voices that you hear, but you never see her. Um, and she does a terrific job, actually. And I'm learning some stuff about Chris that I never knew. Okay, so originally, this is her bio from Tajikistan. I don't think I've ever met anyone from Tajikistan. I've studied engineering, says Chris, in the States and in the UK before settling in Normandy. Up to date, I've penned three novels for children and young adults. Uh, Bird Limers is my first attempt at grown-ups fiction. When not writing books, I work as a naval architect. What a multi-talented reader you are. Clearly, there's only one person in the known universe who could possibly read your submission, Chris. And that would be Chris. The first page. Bird Limers. By Chris Ugai. Read by the author. It was a quiet evening at the end of August when a pair of teenage boys found themselves sitting on the roof of an abandoned warehouse in eastern London. They were both pale and scrawny and had a distinct air of people who had been left to fend for themselves at a very early age. One of the boys, the smaller and younger of the two, was called Arthur Island. Artie, for those who knew him well. The other boy was Artie's cousin, Bertram, Bert Island. Artie and Bert were watching a group of truants loitering in the car park across the street. The car park was too far away for anyone sitting on the roof to be able to say with certainty the truants' age or even gender. Most of them resembled penguin chicks. They were large, shapeless and disheveled. And just as penguins, they clung together for warmth and protection and made the most ungodly racket. Bert had been studying the truants for a quarter of an hour and during this time had made many derisive comments about them. Artie had been quiet. As an apprentice to his family's business, he was rarely asked to offer an opinion on anything. Finally, as if his worst suspicions concerning the truants had been confirmed, Bert turned away from the car park and fished a small wooden box out of the pocket of his overly large coat. Grinning maliciously, he opened it. The box contained a round, gilded object of such a size that it fit comfortably into the palm of one's hand. To the untrained eye, it resembled a large pocket watch, but the difference that its face had a lot more numbers and even letters arranged in several concentric circles, and instead of two hands, it had seven. The object was called chronophage, and it was the most important tool of the island's trade. Bert eyed chronophage lovingly, while Artie barely spared it a glance. He knew that in two years, when he became of age and when his apprenticeship was over, he would be allowed and even required to use this tool. He was not sure, however, that he would ever overcome the mistrust and the apprehension he felt towards it. Six hours apiece, shall we say? Bert asked cheerfully. Without waiting for Artie's response, he took another object, a small screw-top glass vial out of his pocket, screwed it on top of chronophage in the spot where a wind-up knob can be found on a pocket watch, pushed a small button on the device's back, and pointed its face at the truants. A light, silvery mist streamed across the street separating the car park and the warehouse and disappeared rapidly inside chronophage. So easy. It's like stealing from a child, Bert pronounced with a chuckle. If the car park were positioned a little closer, Artin Bert would hear the conversation which then transpired between the truants. It gets dark so early these days. Is it really this late? My mom must be home by now. She's going to kill me. Where did the time go? And although Bert could not have heard this last remark, just as he could not have heard the rest of the conversation, he must have heard it all before, 
for with another malicious grin, he flicked the glass vial with the nail of his index finger and said, Right here. Do you ever feel guilty? Artie asked his cousin as later that day they were making their way through London. About what? About what we do. You mean stealing? Not at all. The cold and condescending tone Bert employed indicated that indeed he felt no guilt whatsoever. We're only stealing from those who have too much and are careless with it. Take that lot. Bert pointed with his thumb in the direction of the car park, which by then was far behind them. They were just wasting it. Dawdling in a car park. Smoking, drinking. Before you know, they'd start taking drugs and breaking into people's cars. One could say that we actually saved them from going down their own path. What? He added in response to Artie's disbelieving look. All right, it's bollocks. Bert admitted after a few moments of elbowing through the crowds. They were in Covent Garden by then, and the sidewalks were teeming with tourists. One way or another, it would have been wasted. At least now it can go to somebody who will put it to good use. Aha! Uh-huh. So, um, Ali, as um, another member of our um, uh, crack team, basically SAS of readers here, uh, your voice is extremely well known to everyone who, who watches pop-up submissions. So, leaving uh, personal um, preferences aside, we have to be uh, absolutely down the line here. First reactions, please. Uh, I liked it very much, actually. I thought it was extremely engaging, um, confident writing, very enjoyable. I certainly would have read on. Um, I think the premise is a great one. Um, and she also managed to avoid moralizing, you know, although she's kind of, you know, chucking the business about not wasting time. She she didn't sort of moralize. She actually put bollocks at the end of it. You know, okay, that's good. Yeah, I, lo- I loved it um, when she said bollocks, actually. It sounded just about the way she said that. But it totally yes. is going to get us demonetized. But what the heck, bollocks. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. Um, and, and the penguin image. I thought it was brilliant because sometimes you stick in an image to try and brighten something up and it doesn't quite sit and that one just yeah. sat so well in this situation I thought it was great yeah. um, it could do with some editing there was, there was quite a lot of extra stuff particularly the first few lines that, that actually was just a little clumsy um, and if that could be made a bit swifter a bit slicker I think it would add enormously but yeah no I thought it was a great story I'd oh. cheerfully read on <laughs> oh you would cheerfully read on and you're going to give it some numbers would. please from uh, between one and five I'll give it a four because I do think it needs a bit of work but I do like the premise well that is a remarkably good score to start with actually um yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm not too sure about Bert and Archie, or it was. They didn't really make a lot of an impression on me. Um, they felt like there was kind of ciphers just there really to get some ideas across. And I I don't know if they are going to develop into key characters. I don't, I don't, it's always a problem, actually, if you start, you start something with two characters and they're both kind of equally weighted. Um, which, which one are we supposed to identify with? Which one are we supposed to be invested in emotionally? Don't, I didn't feel emotionally invested in either of those. I did like the idea very much. Um, what did you think to it, Louisa? Um, I, I agree with Ali. I really like the premise and I think it's intriguing. And, um, and it was really nicely written, nice pace, nice development, nice shifting from setting to a little bit of characterization, uh, description, dialogue. Um, so there's the, all, all the kind of building blocks are there and there wasn't too much info dumping as you often get with this yeah. this genre. Um, th- we, were, we were given shown i suppose the, the chronograph in action seeing what it could do and it was so chronophage it, it, it eats oh, time yeah chronophage which i think is rather a nice word actually it is isn't it um yeah. the only bit I, I wasn't quite as keen on was when we shifted over to the dialogue of the truants to hear to hear their voices i felt like that was a tiny bit clunky and didn't didn't seem to to fit within the the um the, the, the flow of everything else but having said that it was uh, it was really interesting and I fair enjoyed enough. it fair enough alright so get, let's get some numbers from you um, I think I'll go for a four as well a four everyone's in a good mood today maybe it's just me maybe I'm just a little dyspeptic actually possibly I don't know I'm going to go for three I want to be more emotionally invested. I think it's an interesting idea. Uh, nice execution so far, um, but I'm not. I'm not investing in the characters, and I really do need to in the first few pages. Otherwise, I I fear I could drift away. Um, shall we have a peek at the um, the scoreboard at this early stage, just to see if the genius room has come to its own conclusion? 
All right. So um, they have. <laughs> Everyone apparently likes it to the extent of a four, apart from me. Oh, dear. How awful. How embarrassing. I'm enormously out of step with everybody. Um, it's a stonkingly good start, actually, Chris. So let's see if you maintain your lead for the next four submissions. And this is the next one. This is from Lily. It's commercial literary. There's an oxymoron for you. And it's called Gooseling. Not Gosling. Gooseling. And this is Lily's blurb. Maggie is 20 when she's sent to the city to work for the terrifying Mr. Boss. She's naive. She's different. She's spent her whole life in York in a church rectory waiting for her little brother to die. She begins to realise nothing is normal about Mr. Boss's world, selling diamonds in the dead of night. But will he let her leave? Why was she sent there? As she gets embroiled into his life, desperate to survive, she begins to uncover the dark secrets of the family she left behind. And let me tell you about Lily. I'm originally from Newcastle. I graduated in maths and have spent seven years working in London as a management consultant. But my passion is literature. The best hours of my day for the past three years have been late at night or at dawn with the birds. You're a writer, Lily. This is when writers do their thing. Writing, unwriting and rewriting. I like that unwriting bit. Goosling. OK, that's terrific. Um, obviously a class act. We need a class act to do the reading. Not that all writers aren't, of course. I have to be careful what I say. It's Emily. The first page. Goosling by Lily Bean. Read by Emily. One. Goosling. Plural gooselings. One. A smaller baby goose. Gosling. Two. A callow, immature, inexperienced, slash foolish, naive young person. Alfie's death. When Alfie Appleby began to write his will, it was a Sunday. The sky in York was bluer than May, but the catmint at the door was white along the tip with frost. He sat pert at the desk in a silk pink gown, the young in his cheeks gone sullen, tufts of his hair sticking neat and dead toward the roof. He was seventeen years and three days old. But what to give you, elder sister, best of the desolate beneficiaries? She was lying belly down on the worn red carpet, pulling at a thread. She looked up, raised a brow. I'm not abandoned yet. Oh, but you will be, little Maggie. Maybe I shall enjoy it. Not now you're at school. Bastard. She watched as he leant back, small in the grand wooden chair, pen in the side of his mouth. He looked much like her. Big greenish eyes and roguish eyebrows and pointed little chin. Poor Maggie. They're gaming with you, putting you there. Humiliating, at my age, fully grown and already educated. He laughed. Fortune would have it, you're a young-looking twenty. Maggie threw him a look, going from all fours to her feet with a little hop, straightening up and facing the window. She put her hands onto the ledge. It's not funny, Alfie. Not with Monday tomorrow. Those bastardly iron gates. It sounds funnier than you make out, I think. It's Hades. It's full of tartan-skirted she-devils and sanctimonious spinster nuns. He pretended to gasp. Should you not count yourself blessed? Best Catholic teaching in York. She picked at the rusted frame with her finger. I should be teaching those little wenches, Alfie. I'm three years older and all they talk about is the godforsaken tellies. Should you now? He laughed again. And what exactly would you teach them? Maggie turned around. Alfie sat upright. He always did. Legs crossed, gait feminine and slight. Tiny muscles, hidden somewhere holding him upward. He grinned at her, teasing, playing with the pen between his thin white hands. She tried to look stern, then laughed. Says you, intellect, bowling around all day doing non-verbal reasoning with Sally. Triangle, 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 square. Which is the odd one out, Alfie? He put a finger to his lip, clown-like, feigning confusion. I'm not sure, Sally. That third one there looks a bit like the bastardly Grim Reaper. Stop. She looked at his smile, unwavering, eyes crinkling and warm. She looked at the length of his body, 
at the old pyjama bottoms he'd on under the gown, faded and covered in polka dots, regurgitated from the wardrobe of his ten-year-old self. One leg was crossed over the other, bony knee coming through the pyjama. They'd stopped laughing. Alfie took the pen from his mouth. Back to the matter at hand. Must we? Maggie turned back to the window. Do you think I'd be subject to inheritance tax? Inheritance tax? She glanced back at Alfie. Twenty pounds a year for seventeen birthdays, give or take. I doubt it. Movement caught her eye in the window. Beside their house was a long field, cut sparse and covered in ice, running along the edge of a forest. An old yellow church stood at the far end, Uncle George's church. She could make him out by the arched door in his collar. Little hunched women went by, tossing him coloured paper envelopes. I know you don't mean this mocking, said Alfie. It's anticipatory grief, so I forgive you. You shouldn't. I mean to mock. Her hair in the glass was tangled and down to her elbows. She pulled at it, breathed in both nostrils. Stop talking about it, she willed him. Willie Perry is getting my miniature Aston Martin set, he said after a moment. He's no toys. That's first on the list. I haven't seen those for five years at least. Oh, contraire, Maggie. I get them out and play with them the whole time now, whilst you're beavering away at the convent. I'm sort of reliving my childhood. I might as well, you know. What's next? Silky nightgown. She turned. All right, so... um. Great reaction on the junior stream here, Lily. You want to just uh, freeze frame this and um, and read what people are saying? I, 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 I don't know. I'm going to give you some instant reactions off the top of my head. I really like the dialogue. Nice dialogue. Something going on with the dialogue. It's interesting. You got away with it. But then I read Robert's comment. The dialogue feels off to me. It doesn't sound like um, phrasing young people would use unless it's set in a different period. And that's right. He's right. Genius room is always right, never wrong, because they buy books. Um, you've got a feel for the dialogue, definitely. And there's a control going on there as well. I hate the dictionary at the beginning. Somebody else picked on that straight away. Um, Emily says, I like this. And, of course, Emily is very important because she actually read it. She got inside your, your words there. I like this. She said... I thought the dialogue was great. My only reservation is I didn't know where we were in time. It felt almost historical. Yeah, it does. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think there's something interesting here, um, but I don't know where on earth it's going. Do you know, Louisa? I don't know where it's going, but like you, there is much to like about this. This is mm. clearly somebody who can write really well. Their opening line, as somebody's mentioned in the chat room, it, it is very strong um, and engaging and arresting. And I think there's a, there's quite a lot of kind of original and, and arresting use of language throughout, and that's mm. there in the dialogue too. But like as people have said, the dialogue. I'm thinking, how old are these people? What century mm. are they living in? Mm. And then we've got a mention of a telly. I'm thinking 1980s, 1970s. But yeah. then it sounds. All, and then someone said gothic as if they've been locked ah, up in this place and, yeah. and there is a feeling of that coming through but but it's so many kind of um, I, I am struggling to see where we're going and I want things to move on a bit faster I want yeah. a bit of a set, a bit more pace um, I think there's a lot of dialogue and we could perhaps cut and edit, edit that down so that and do more with the, the descriptions there's some fabulous descriptions I just love that an old yellow church the use of colour imagery there mm. is so fantastic mm. as it was in the opening paragraph with the setting of the seasons the blue May and yet the frost and that's bringing to bringing out the sense of like of time and change and this this young man's life being cut short too early da, da, da. so there's all sorts of, of wonderful moments but i'm thinking we want a bit more pace and a bit more um direction for these characters for this young woman um to feel her movement forward because i think she's the she's the protagonist not yes. our um not our dying boy in, in the bed um, yeah. so yeah really interesting complex, okay complex, okay complex. Yes, mm. it is, isn't it? It's multi-layered. I'm probably going to be thinking about this tomorrow, actually, trying to puzzle it through. Mm. Um, numbers, please, Louisa. You've got to give it some numbers. Oh, I think I'm being generous again. I'm going to give it another four. Whoa! We are in a good mood today. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, you're doing all right here, Lily, I think. You're, you've definitely intrigued us. Uh, and you're getting some absolutely spot-on uh, comments from the chat room, Ali. 
Um, yeah, no, again, I, I mean, I entirely agree with everything Louisa said, particularly about the pacing. Um, I thought it was a fantastic premise and great that she just got on with the story. And we know from the title of the chapter, uh, Alfie's Death, that although we're talking about Alfie writing a will, it's really going to happen. You know, it, it's yeah. not that he's writing a will because he's being a hysterical child or is feeling ill or whatever. Yeah. You know, we know this is reality. Yeah. Um, I absolutely agree. If we'd actually had an era earlier on, I think latterly I began to decide it was modern day when they were talking about non-verbal reasons which is something they do at school yeah, sure. now, but I yeah. didn't think they did it before, and, and inheritance tax and stuff like this. So I, I decided didn't, he We didn't do any was. reasoning in school at all, actually. <laughs> it's all completely random and illogical. That's just my experience. Um, but yeah, I decided, yes, it probably was modern, and he simply was a slightly, you know, Victorian, perhaps, you know, um, a formal, slightly pompous speaker. Um, I felt we had a really good handle on him, that he kept pressing the point about the death to almost mm. the point of being cruel mm. and, the, you know, assistance to reluctance to talk about it. So I, I think we did quite well with that. Mm. But there's quite a few incongruities. I mean, him saying, you know, uh, something about you're not abandoned yet, as if his will would save her. And then we discover he's actually worth nothing. And it's not like he's leaving her something, some item that would be of value. Um, and, and there were just too many questions raised that were not hook kind of questions. Yes, yes, we want to know about Alfie's death. You know, what's he dying of? When's he going to die? And why does it matter? Um, but there, there were quite a few other questions, like why is she going to school at 20? Which are just mm. irritating questions. You know, there, yeah. there's some yeah. things which we are, are confused by rather than yes. interested to, to read on about. Yes. Um, so I think there needs to be quite a lot of, of untangling, really. You know, yeah. de deconfusing and, and making the whole thing a lot smoother, a lot easier to read. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I it is she can clearly write so yeah, uh, you know, yeah. It's, good uh, okay good so i mean uh, lily you should, you should be very pleased with what you're getting here again you're getting the whole of the genius room with giving first reaction you've got two absolutely you know top of the top of the range comments here from uh, from ali and from louisa ali numbers please i'm afraid i'm going to go in with a three because as much as i like the story and i like the premise and i like yeah. the fact that we've gone on with it you know we were straight yeah. in really you know with yeah. the death um, but I think it does need a, quite a bit of sorting. Yes. All right. I think I'm going to agree with you. I, I, it's one of those times when I want to say to myself, is it, is it a three or a four? And I don't know, but I'm probably, you know, I mean, I tell you what's really pushing it down for me, Lily. It's your genre, you know, uh, commercial literary. I mean, how many books really are commercial literary? Very, very few. And when somebody calls that, that you know, we get so many submissions calling literary this, literary that, literary the other, it usually means that we're not going to sell any books. That's what it usually means. Commercial, yes, but mm, I'm not sure. So I'm, I'm, I'm slightly averse to that as a genre. So going to be a bit hard-nosed and give you a three, but I think um, I'm just going to another peek in the... And scoreboard, actually, see what the junior stream have said. I'm just intrigued to know what they've done on that. Okay, my score hasn't registered yet, but it will do. The chat room's gone for four as well. Another four. Okay. I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's so close. It's so close, you can't even call it. Um, shall we have another one? Shall we? I think we ought to. Yes. Let's have a look at our third submission of the day. I think it's, it's going to be another one. We're starting the year so well, it's going to be another tightly contested show, I think. This is from André, André Clichon. His fiction, or a recent historical slash war, is called The Observer. And this is André's blurb. A couple watch civil defence advice as the world heads towards a full-blown nuclear conflict. But sirens soon echo across the English countryside as Dennis, a volunteer for the Royal Observer Corps, races to do his futile duty of observing nuclear explosions to predict fallout. War is over in hours, and months later, only Dennis emerges travelling through a ravaged English countryside to witness atrocities, the collapse of civilization, radically change his perception of family and duty. Okay, so it's a bit Cormac McCarthy, isn't it, actually? Hello! <laughs> Hello, Andre. It's nice to have you live with us on in, in, in YouTube. Won't make any difference, but it's nice to have you. Um, let me tell everybody about you. Um, I'm currently a children's community nurse, you say. Must be challenging at the moment. 
Um, I have two children and passion for photography. I've written fan science fiction and also contributed to a professional healthcare journal publication. Super. Well, bless my cotton socks. Who would the reader be but the person who is multidimensional, to say the very least, because you can be in two places at once, is Ali. The first page. The Observer by Andre, read by Alison. The television in the flock wallpaper front room was black and white. They could not afford colour, such extravagances out of reach of their working-class pocket. The screen flickered, a loose connection from the makeshift aerial. But still, husband and wife watched it, him with a stern expression, and her with tears rolling down her cheeks, her chest heaving with every contained sob. Somewhere upstairs, the floorboards creaked, oblivious to his parents' misery. Their only child, a son, played with his soldiers. He improvised with a cardboard box. Made a good fort, and cheap, too. Every so often, husband and wife would glance towards the ceiling. They did not smile. It was impossible to smile now. The man held upon his stubble-filled face a hardened, determined expression under his ashen-receding hairline, a tilted crown once full of dark, gone curls. Beside him, the woman sat forlorn, pretty much resigned to her fate. Brown eyes had long lost their sparkle beneath a limp, auburn mess dashed with grey. It was hard to conceive that a little over a decade ago she paraded a rainbow of reds, purples and pinks, braids and dreadlocks of a beat-necked child. Now she, along with her man, had become boring and insignificant adults. Like neighbours upon neighbours, they were controlled and entertained by their electronic window onto the world. And right now, on the device in front of them, a cartoony image played out, as it had done so several times that day, and the day before, and the day before that. Monotone sterile and ominous. The voice of authority droned on. It was the last voice. Again the stylized picture of the house appeared, a shimmering effect like tinsel around it, while a tinny music played. The announcer said they would need to hide in their refuge in the heart of the home. Then the announcer, lacking any emotion in his delivery, advised them on disposal of the dead. By now every person in the land knew protect and survive. How could they not, when it appeared on their televisions, on their radios, and in their newspapers every day? They called it civil defence, the biggest fallacy ever pulled on the people by its government. A husband knew it, the wife knew it, but still they watched, just to remember the drill. Except for one hard fact, they would not be together when the bombs fell. Dennis sighed and rose to his feet as the service announcement finished. His knees clicked as they were wont to doing, not even fifty yet but aged advanced, regardless. That never gets easier to watch, he said with his deep chords and pain in the inflection of the words. Margaret just stared at him, wiping those once captivating dark eyes with a small lace handkerchief. She nodded, but it was a weak gesture. Keep it together, girl, for the lad, Dennis continued. It won't do him any good to see you like that. Not right now. He needs to trust you. There will come the time when the fear will be real. But not yet. Is that time really going to come? She mumbled a reply. Fingers crossed, but... The ominous word hung there, and Dennis stood in the centre of their small living room with his own thoughts and terrors in his mind. He let the images race around his mind, his lips chewed to potted flesh over these last few weeks. But it served him no good. He rubbed his legs into action and moved to the kitchen, stepping over, yet ignoring, a canvas backpack packed with supplies. Those legs were not fine specimens, and for sure he would never be called fit, but that did not matter in the voluntary role he had pursued for many years now. During the day, before the Soviets had moved on the Middle East, he had been an insurance adjuster. Dennis worked in a concrete monstrosity of an office block in the nearest city. He had his own desk, and his own box files lovingly marked up in felt-tip pen. But in the evening he played at war games, having joined a civil defence organisation called the Royal Observer Corps, when it had become apparent the youth had deserted him, along with all its hopes and honour. Straight to Ali. You got inside that. What was it like? <laughs> Um, it was actually it was quite easy to read, which is nice. There were very few sort of clunky bits where you tended to fall over yourself a bit too much. Um, I did think we could have got on with the story rather earlier. Uh, we seemed to spend an awful lot of time in front of the television with a rather depressing announcement without anything really happening. Um, I found it quite difficult to get a, my head around the era. Um, apart from the television set, that was the only thing that 
that anchored. Um, I knew little about the characters by the end. And I didn't feel I was really invested. I didn't feel I was engaged with them. Um, I, I didn't really care what happened to them. <laughs> I knew they were about right. to probably be blown up or die, but, you know, I didn't care that much about them. Um, yeah. I thought there were some beautiful, nice light touches. You know, this guy who worked, you know, and had his own box files, you know, Martin Feltip. That actually did give us a, a bit more of a feeling about um, about the chap. Dennis, was he? Sorry. Yeah, um, I think it was, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and there were a few of those touches sprinkled through, which I thought really, in a few words, gave quite a nice feeling of character. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, a bit more pace and a bit more anchoring, a bit more knowing where we were. And Yeah, did it, you know. it, it felt quite old-fashioned to me because, um, I mean, I don't know why we should stop worrying about nuclear weapons, bearing in mind what's happening in the States at the moment. Um, but um, it, it, people don't worry about that now. It, it's kind of, that's kind of, you know, last century, isn't it, really? Um, we, maybe we should worry, but they don't. And I, I've got a slight feeling here, actually, Andre, that you probably this is the preamble and really the story kicks in after the explosions, which only take a few hours, as you say. And you're kind of writing this because you need to get us to that point. You can just start. You can just start there. You can start there. Just like if you if you if you've read, I'm sure you have Cormac MacArthur's The Road, which this instantly reminded me of. He never tells you, you know, what the great calamity was, the great disaster. He doesn't need to. Because that's really not what, what he was interested in. He was interested in exploring life afterwards. What did you think there, Louisa? Um, similar feelings that um, we aren't straight into the action, really. We're waiting for some, yeah. for this event to happen. and and But the waiting itself, although at, at first I thought it was going to be quite tense, quite ominous, with that great line, it was impossible to smile. I like that a mm. lot. But then mm. we, we switched to, to discussing the hair of the characters and, and then we get this stuff about he rubbed his legs into action. Who rubs their legs into action? Not me. Um, Gentlemen of a certain fine. age. Louisa, but you wouldn't know that. For me, there was quite a, the, some of the writing was just a little bit odd, and I thought it, it, it took us out of this situation and this this moment, this mood that was there, and then wasn't wasn't capitalised on. Yeah, and there was yeah. there's so much that we that I mean, I love the idea of the boy above playing with his soldiers and the parents downstairs. Yeah, that's nice, so isn't it? Yeah. So much more of the kind of uh, emotional engagement. I've got a child, yeah. and they're, they're, we're about to be blown up. I mean, surely yeah. it's massively high stakes. But then, for me, that it didn't quite follow through on those high stakes, yeah. and I wasn't able to engage enough with the feelings and uh, that surely must be in these people people's minds. And the wife says to him, "Oh, are we going to be all right?" And he goes, "Fingers crossed." But and it's just all about terribly British, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Fingers crossed, old thing. Yes, it's just a few it. megatons. We could, we might yeah. make it. <laughs> <laughs> oh exactly. god yeah, yeah. yeah. So, what do you think just generally what do you think about people's appetite for dystopia at the moment because it's it's odd isn't it i mean some of us do really like dystopia even though we're living the nightmare yep yep i've read a few dystopias recently I'm, i think i've read two or three in the last couple of months um and I think it's there. I think the appetite is still there, but we want something. Mm. We want people to be doing something new with it. One that I was reading was about cloning, and it had a it had a kind of never let me go feel to it. Oh, the yeah. the Kathy Guru book, which is incredible, um, and and this was a YA version of that that's not yet come out by Sarah Govert, and it's very well done, um, very interesting, really good. Um, so yeah, I think there's an appetite for there, but we do need that freshness, and I yeah. think this could be something. It just needs yeah. to decide. It just needs to get on with it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, numbers, please. Mm, a three. A three. Which in itself is not bad, actually, Andrew. No, not, not bad, bad at all. Not bad, no. Ali? A three as well. Three. And I think I'll have the same, please, if you're buying. There we go. Three threes. Not bad. I Once again, I'm, I, I'm so curious about the genius room. So I just have to talk for a second or two while the whole thing updates, and then let's have a look and see what they're doing. Let's see what they're doing. How many did they score? Okay. Charon 3-2. Three, Three's all round. Three's all round. Not, uh, nothing to be ashamed of there at all, Andre, actually. And um, I think we all, we all, you know, we all agree you can write. You can write. Maybe not the right starting point for this, though. Maybe. Just a, just a thought. Um, what should we do now? 
Should we speak to Louisa? I think that might be quite nice. There she is. Look. Oh, what a fancy new website. It's, it's all got motion pictures there. Ooh, it's lovely. Good, isn't it? It's lovely. Yes. For those people who don't know, I, mean, I guess there are some on planet Earth. Um, this was your extraordinary book that people get. People say amazing things about it. You've got a, a, most extraordinary re reviews from terrific people. And this, here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? So, you know, um, Kate, who's one of our two amazing bookers here, she also um, has a, a proper job, which is um, librarianship in, in, in a school. Um, that's one of a number of responsibilities, actually. And she says this. So um, she says, I've recently ordered both of Louise's YA teen verse novels for our school library. Great. Excellent. We like to hear that, don't we? Plus a number of verse novels by Kwame Alexander. That's because the verse novel, she says, I'm going to ask you about this, is an increasingly popular genre among the teenage demographic who are eschewing longer form novels in large numbers. Is that right? Um, well, I think that once a teenager realises how good verse novels are, then they definitely get a, um, they get a taste for them. It's that's what happened to me. At first, I was I was before I'd written one or read one, I was a bit oh well, no, I like proper books with chapters and really long um, long. Um, interesting loads to yeah. get into and I thought it's not going to give me the same experience but actually it gives you an, an incredibly immersive experience and I think that's what teenagers like the, the the speed and the immersiveness of it and that you can um, yeah. that you can just find yourself in that story deep in that story within a couple of pages yes. so it's it's good for those those out there who uh, who enjoy that and maybe find that their uh, attention spans perhaps you know well that's exactly what, what, what Kate said you know, and I mean, I'm so behind the curve on this, and I shouldn't be actually being an agent, I should be very forward looking. But she says, and I hadn't thought about this, she says, verse novels tell the story in fewer words and are also effective at giving a strong sense of the protagonists in a world. Essentially, they cut to the chase, which is why they're pr uh, pr pr proving competitive against other fast moving media formats. How interesting. I'd never thought yeah. about that. Did you stumble across that by accident, or was it a cunning plan? <laughs> no, it was not a cunning plan. I don't have a cunning plan. <laughs> I, I'm afraid I'm just lurching from one disaster to another, really. Uh. But uh, no, it was just uh, I wanted to do something fresh and new for my own writing. And I thought, come on, just try it and see what happens. And now I love mm. it. I can't yeah. stop. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of feedback? I know, I mean, I'm not going to read any of these, these embarrassingly good quotes you've got from other writers and reviewers. But what sort of reaction do you get from kids? really really good um a girl i taught last year in year 11 she the second it was out she went and bought it and she said some something like oh i can't believe how well you she said something about you just see through us don't you As oh, if wow. that kind of, wow. and i felt that was an incredible like compliment coming from a 16 year old girl this yeah. and she's a very very bright girl but she's just aware that you know that sense of Adults can talk down to teenagers. Can yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But you, to get the voice right is a, is yeah. a difficult thing. Of course, it does, mean, it does mean, Louise, that somewhere inside you, there is a 16-year-old girl. There is, of yes. course. <laughs> <laughs> hmm, yeah. Oh, is, is this a straitjacket for you? Is it something that you're ever going to, to break out of? Well, as I was saying earlier, my next book, well, the one, the book I've most recently um, writ written is for grown-ups, but the protagonist there is a 24-year-old woman, so maybe huh. I'm getting older. Maybe okay. in my, in my Slowly going up. I'm finally growing up. Excellent. Yeah, congratulations. Be nice. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, let me know what it's like. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic. That's uh, Louise Reed. Uh, we don't see enough of you. Wish, uh, wish we could get hold of you more. I tell you what, we're having such a good time. Should we see what the next submission is, shall we? Here we go. I had a dream. Short novel fiction by Nicole. Oh, QR code there. I love it when there is one. So you can scan that and uh, go wherever Nicole wants you to go. We, we don't censor these websites at all. Maybe we should do. Maybe that's what is getting us demonetized. I don't know. I had a dream as a fictional story, says Nicole, that follows the life of ambitious young boy chasing his dream of becoming a professional soccer player. Through many struggles and dashed hopes, he remains focused on his goal with the help of his old friend and mentor, teaching him the importance of having a vision, mission and core values as the recipe to making it big. 
In support of the Black Lives Matter movement, I'm intending to have this story play out by a black family to be featured on TV film. Well, good. I hope it gets that far. Let me tell you... Um, oh, we've got a very, very long... It's a Dropbox link. <laughs> I wonder if you meant to send us that. <laughs> it's up there now. It's too late to change it. So, uh... Let's see what the contents of your Dropbox are. How interesting. Uh, my name is Nicole Pariah, and I'm a new writer from Singapore. Uh, through my published work, I'm interested in bringing entertaining emotional dramas to the TV and film industry, and I think you mean, uh, that has an educational aspect to it, directed towards ambitious young people searching for answers on how to make it big in such a competitive world. I have one published novel. I'm currently working on a sci-fi adventure series to debut in uh, September 2021 and so sci-fi forward-looking aggressive ambitious all the things that matter to our wonderful narrator Robert the first page I had a dream by Nicole read by Robert introduction present-day CFA boardroom I love to travel the thing I love most about traveling is the journey you meet new people, experience strange new cultures, walk through streets you've never seen before. Even the air in another country is different from what you're used to. I'm not sure why they call it a destination when, in reality, you don't stop travelling when you get there, do you? You keep moving, exploring, learning. There is something about packing one's bags, leaving everything behind, and travelling to a strange, beautiful land that always inspires me to actually sit down and plan something. You see, I'm a doer, not a planner. I do whatever first comes to mind without paying much attention to the consequences. This may be the very reason why I decided to start my own business so young. Everyone has a dream of the ideal life they would like to live. My dream was to be financially free. Pretty ordinary. I'm sure most of you reading this have a similar dream. However, my goal didn't have anything to do with driving a big car or going to fancy restaurants. No, I wanted to be financially free in order to give my family a better life. But I'm no hero of the story because I did not, want to, I did not get to fulfil this dream and arrive where I am today on my own. Also, deep down inside, I wanted to be financially free to travel the world purely for my own pleasure. Honestly, close your eyes and picture white-capped mountains, valleys as far as the eye can see, daisies and tulips in full bloom, soft white sand beneath your toes, endless shopping bazaars and delicious street food. By now, you're probably dreading opening your eyes to the same old scenery outside your window. I definitely was. So, I wanted to start something new for myself, something that I enjoyed, Something that I enjoyed and could provide for my family. I dreamt about it every day, but never did I dream it would be so difficult, or that I would actually be living it today. Never did I dream that my daydreams would be of actual events, and not remain merely dreams. Oh, and did I mention, I also love to daydream. There is really nothing like a good daydream, and there's nothing wrong with that. I guess you could say, I am a doer and a dreamer. Yes, that perfectly sums up who I am. Good morning, someone chirps from behind me, and I snap out of my very first daydream of the day. A group of important-looking people in suits start taking their seats around me, and I wonder what I'm doing here. I take in my surroundings quite dubiously, still fuzzy from the daydream, and realise I'm at a board meeting. Ah, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back, I say smiling fondly at the people who have become like family to me over the past decade. As they trickle into the room, they clamour to ask, How was your holiday? You're so lucky! The last time the whole family went on a proper vacation was two years ago! Suddenly, I'm bombarded with questions about Paris, Rome and Zurich from around the large dark oak boardroom table. I experience this a lot more than I e could have ever imagined possible. Sometimes I detect the tone of envy, and sometimes just awe and confusion. How is it, they wonder, that I have a business to run and yet I go on leisurely holidays with the family 90 days a year? I begin to tell my colleagues about my trip and my brain is tempted to delve into a whole new verbal daydream about my travels. 
We spent a week in Switzerland, a week in France, and two weeks in Italy. My favourite place in Europe. What was the weather like? Was it freezing? asked Francis. In Switzerland it was, but France and Italy had the most beautiful weather. I could have stayed there for another month. Nah, you wouldn't have survived two months without us, smirks Jonathan. And with that, the entire boardroom laughs in unison. Right, so... Genius Room has got some comments here. No, I wouldn't. I would say they're not totally in love with this. And to be absolutely honest, I have to be honest. I kind of lost interest a bit. But maybe that's just me. Maybe I've just got a short attention span, Ali. Uh, I entirely agreed. I, I think it was very mundane. They were, at the beginning, we were simply chatting through stuff that everybody knows. It was a cafe conversation. Oh, I like to travel. Yeah. Yes, no. You know, there really was nothing startling and um, nothing to, to grab hold of. Um, an awful lot of cliches, an awful lot of repetition, a lot of telling. Uh, there was, mm. uh, you know, important looking men in suits, I wrote down. You know, they could have just said something like Armani suits or something. I don't know. You know, but mm. it just, there was an awful lot of telling. And we really weren't going anywhere. In, in mm. something, the first four or five paragraphs, we were just told that he was a doer and a dreamer. And, and they could have said that in the first line. <laughs> so, yeah. so really, you know, the entire thing, the only thing that actually happened is he had a conversation in the boardroom. So, yeah. no, I think it was... I, I think we need to start somewhere else, start when, where something's actually happening um, and cut to the chase. Because my anchor now is just that I've um, got something which is repetitions, cliches, and not interesting. So right. why would I read on? Yeah, absolutely. So Robert, um, of course, I'm the writer on that, um, says the writing's solid, but I'm afraid that nothing's really happening. It's unclear where it's going. I'm not sure why I'm supposed to care. The writing actually comes off as quite aloof. It does, actually, yes. Particularly considering it's supposed to be connected to something more grassroots like BLM. And Kate says, I thought this was going to be about football. Did I imagine that? No, I think it was. We probably got around to it in, in due course. Uh, Louisa. Um, well, I was definitely at a board meeting in that. Yeah. A meeting. Um, it yes. was just boring. We've been polite, said mundane. No, it's just it's just boring. Um, yeah. Cut it, get your red pen out and cut that out. Just start mm -hmm. scribbling all over it and find yeah. this character who has a dream. Gosh, I, I was excited by the blurb. I thought, okay, good. We're going to be reading something about struggle and um, overcoming yeah. challenges and there's going to be high stakes and there's going to be this tough feisty character and that was nothing of that no, was absolutely whatsoever no that's right very, slow, very yes boring. yes sorry we got to tell sorry. it like it is nicole and you know there's some there's some tricks of the trade you need to learn actually um you do that have another look at it who knows you may go stratospheric but right now let's let's find out what numbers you're going to give louisa it's a one from me Oof. sorry oh wow sorry Oh my god, oh my god, my heart's gone all pitter patter. <laughs> oh dear. Ali, I dread to think. Is it going to be a minus number, isn't it? Oh no! Oh no. I'm going to make my computer no, explode. I'm going to give it a two because oh. I, I think. It, well, it, it was solidly enough written, but there just, you know, there was nothing well, solid really. Solid is the right word. <laughs> Yeah, all right. So the thing is, Nicole, you, you do need to learn a few basic tricks here. And then it's not rocket science. People have gone down this path before very successfully. But you just need to, you know, say, what do I need to learn? And there are lots of books out there. And God knows no one, of course, is there's even Litopia. Um, it's wordy, right? It's wordy. It's lots and lots and lots of words. Not really meaning much. Now, if you think about that from the other side, really good authors use very few words to convey lots and lots of meaning. So when you're using lots of words, not getting a huge amount of meaning coming through, what happens is it, it's, it's the snore factor. Readers just drop away. They, they don't engage at all. So you've got to aim for that. You've got to start think about it in a different way. Think about how few words can I use on this page to, to convey exactly what I need to do. Economy of words. Um, more value per word. So yeah, I'm going to do one. Oh, man. Sorry. That's how it goes. But 
don't despair because I've I've got something rather special for you actually. Um, I have in fact a special offer. We don't often do this uh, on pop-ups, but I do have a special offer to actually celebrate the start of the new year. Um, I've got a special offer which allows you to use a coupon code for full membership of Batopia for the next six months at twenty-one percent discount. It's already cheap. It's already cheap. But use this coupon code. Pump it into the box there. HNY stands for Happy New Year 21. And you will get 21% off your six-month membership. How good is that for you? Did you expect that? No. You're going to say thank you? I don't need thanks. Just join us. Just join us. Um, Maybe you could do that too, Nicole. I don't know. Let's have a look at our next submission now, which is sadly our last, but possibly almost controversial. Look at that title. Just look at it. Big, red, angry, throbbing title that it is. Rectum X Finestram. Memoir of someone you've never heard of. Written by Wayne Thalon. And there's a QR code there. I don't know where the heck that's going to take us to. I'm not telling you to, to do that. If you do, it's entirely at your own risk. Rectum X Finestram says Wayne on his blurb. Latin for the Scottish arse out the windy, meaning to be chucked out of the house is both a serious and comical account of my journey. From being married to not. And thus, why? Said in both the UK and the US, the narrative is seen through the prism of my many relationships. And as such, are a reference point to bounce in and out of the many poignant moments that have made me the serf that I am, so destined to repeat the cycle of servitude all over again. Or not. Right. I'm not totally clear on this, but I'm sure I will be in a few moments. Um, Let me tell you about uh, Wayne, short and sweet here. I'm a published author of The Random House Penguin. I think that would be Penguin Random House, actually. Um, and a filmmaker, writer and director with IFC in NY. Excellent. Well, we've got a little bit of a, a Scottish bro going already, haven't we? So dare we, I wonder, dare we ask Kay, please, to give this your best? The first page. Rectum ex Finistrum by Wayne Thallon, read by Kay. Chapter 1, Chicken Head. I asked her straight who the hell orders a cab at midnight on New Year's Eve, but she wouldn't answer. Instead, she nestled into her side of the car and waited on her carriage to leave. Why? I insisted again as I jumped in and started the engine. Do you turn into a pumpkin? Because I'm not paying the sitter an extra hour, now stop harassing me. And remember, you sip a few beers and that's that. And when I say mongoose, you bloody well shut up. We'll come on to the mongoose thing later, but for now, let's just say that my wife is a strong-headed woman. So we get to the party, say our hellos and make our way through two Robin Hoods and a crap Barney Rubble to where we start playing beer pong, a game of skill where well-fumbled ping-pong balls are bounced into half-filled cups of booze on the other side of a table. Anyway, I keep losing, and in one short stint I've tanned my ration of drink for the entire night. And as her eyes are on me, I take my leave and head for the kitchen to no one but the dog on the counter, hairy snout deep in the chilli. So I chase it. Now, I don't dislike other sentient beings, but I do think that I'm interrupted by the lady of the house. I can't make out if she's dressed as a crime scene detective or a painter and decorator, but she's coming in and scooping out large ladles full of chilli onto rice-covered plates, and I feel my stomach go. Because I know what she doesn't know, that for the last minute the littlest hobo has had its hairy beak in the grub. So I say nothing. You like chilli? She asks me from behind the dust mask on her face. Love it, I say. Well, I hope you're hungry because I've made loads, she says, peering into the cauldron, but pauses. Funny, I thought I made more. You did, I want to scream, but I don't. Instead, I make myself busy taking the servants through in an effort to get the smallest one going. So I finally get through the assembled characters with the last of the plates to find Barney Rubble the Flintstone on his knees and face to face with the dog in some sort of growl off. Don't get too close to him, prime suspect painter and decorator says. He's got a rotten tooth and really bad breath. And she waves her hand in front of her nose. 
My stomach turns. Here, I'll show you. She continues now grappling its mouth open, but can't find it. Where the hell? she asks. At which point we're all now sitting around scoffing and saying, oh yeah, this is really great chilli. What's your recipe? Yum, yum. But again, I know what they don't know. I know that someone has now got a rotten bloody dog tooth at the bottom of their mince. And I know it's not me because I've just looked. So it's Russian roulette with the plates until crunch. We all heard it. Someone biting down on something foreign. And my heart stops. It's the lady who's dressed in a traditional German dirndl-like lederhosen, but for women. I now know the name of what she's wearing because when she first arrived wearing civvies, she said she had a dirndl in her bag. Well, I don't hear so well because of wax, so I asked her why she'd bring a dildo to a fancy dress party. She obviously didn't hear too well either because she was pissed and said that because it was an old original from Bavaria, it was quite a tight fit for her, but that she'd soon managed to get it on in the bog. I complimented her on her modern approach to a traditional item. And so we stood there having a conversation about two different things until someone pointed out that you can't actually wear a dildo. That's a strap-on. At which point we saw our error. Okay, now I need to tell you that we do not add sound effects or music or anything like that to the readings. It has come absolutely straight. As it happens... Kay, who uh, gave a terrific reading, as she always does, um, uh, her dog barked at exactly the moment that she mentioned the dog barking in the, <laughs> in the manuscript. Spooky or what? And we left it in, of course. We always leave stuff like that in. So, you know, take, take it away, make of it what you wish. What are you going to make of that, Ali? Um, I felt it was very clumsily written. It, I mean, it's supposed to be terribly humorous. And in fact, he is describing cover situations which could have been, you know, quite funny. Um, but it was so clumsily done with repetitions. And, and I also felt I was being very much told. It was almost like a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Guess what's going to, you know, um, rather than just allowing the humor to flow. So I, I didn't find it funny at all. In fact, I just felt sort of a bit bogged down. Um, and also, you know, just in Congress stuff, if you genuinely knew the dog had had his muzzle in the chili, would you actually keep your mouth shut? Or, you know, would you tell the hostess to make toast? You know, well, Wayne know. would. <laughs> Wayne would. You, you wouldn't, obviously, because you're a nice person. You've only got a few strange habits or day pyjamas and one. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, he, Wayne does. He's that kind of guy. So, you know, um, it, it is quite difficult that somebody describes their own stuff as so hilarious. Um, but uh, I, I, I certainly didn't find it, it hilarious. I felt it was heavily written. Fine. Um, okay. A strong had... reaction. Absolutely entitled to <laughs> a strong reaction. I dread to ask. Numbers? I'd go for a two on that. Sorry. I know that's. I know you're going to go for a two. I had my finger on that button even before you said it. <laughs> I picked it up. Okay, spooky. Action at a distance. Louisa. Uh, I feel really very much the same. I thought I was going to be entertained, but I just got bored again. Um, <gasps> the, I, I like, yeah, sorry. I like the chapter title. I thought, oh, this is going to be good. And when he started off, I thought, yeah, yeah, it's going well. But then it, it just didn't follow through. It was clunky and clumsy. So we get into the party. Anyway, now it was just too slow. I mean, for this kind of wit um, mm. and entertainment factor, it needs to be, you know, boom, 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 doesn't it? And yeah. it needs to be sparkling, but it didn't yeah. sparkle for me. Um, and anyway, that ellipsis, I do think that dot, dot, dot. What do you think? Come on, tell us if it's so funny. Um, yeah. it, it didn't yeah. work for me. The, the the way in which the writing, the, it had actually been written, the nuts and bolts. I thought, where's this going? How long is it going on for? Thought this was about your wife. Now you're talking to some woman about a dildo. Just blinking well. Get on with doing what you promised to do, which is make me laugh. And you didn't. Sorry. You didn't. No. Cardinal no. sin there. Mind you, making making mm -hmm. readers laugh is very difficult. Actually, it's one of the most difficult form of it writing. Is. So, so it numbers, is. please. Oh, I can I can feel the mental anguish be, here. 
It's going to be, I feel like I've been a bit mean with the other one giving it a one. I'm going to give this a two. All right. Oh. All right. Well, you will, get, you will get a chance in just a second to change any of your scores if you want to. Um, I'm just going to have a look at the chat room here, uh, the genius room. Robert says, it's got a good voice. I think it has. Um, could be tighter, though, explaining stuff that's already been shown, e.g. his wife has had strong what beer pong is. The dog's eating the chili, yeah. And he says, I find it funny. The chili guy went on too long, but I was amused for sure. And on a practical uh, basis of um, uh, party etiquette, Hannah says lots of people wouldn't tell the host. So clearly Hannah has been in that kind of situation before and hasn't said anything about it. That's very nice of you. Uh, Rachel says good writing isn't something I'd pick up. Didn't find it funny. You didn't find it funny as well. Three from Georgina. Even spread of votes from two to five. Oh, it's polarizing people, Wayne. You're polarizing people. Um... I think there are some good things about this, but I think it's a bit sloppy too. Um, I think you've got a nice voice. That's really important. Voice is terribly important. Your voice is coming through. Um, and that's that's got to score quite highly for me in any case, because voice is one of those things that, that, that writers often get bred out of, you know, when they go through whatever processes they, they put themselves through, and it kind of squashes your own personal voice, and I don't like that. Voice is terribly important, so, you know, got a voice here, and that's great. Uh, it's, it's got a lot of charm as well. Charm will only take you so far, as Donald Trump has found out. Um, quite a long way in his case. Um, we do need the basics of a story here, and what I worry about is that it's just narrative. It's just, you know, not, it's just life narrative. First, I went to this and did that and so on. And ultimately, are we that interested, really? I don't know. I don't know if there's a story shaping up here or, or, or not. But um, I appreciate it a lot about this. And I am actually in the camp that the thought has got potential. I think the title is shockingly bad. You've got to work on that, mate. Um, but despite all that, I'm going to go because I like voice a lot. Going to go four. So we have polar. We polarize. Probably Ali and Louise are not going to speak to me ever again now. Oh dear! Never. What, have, what have I done? Let's Let have a look and down. see. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, but you know, you you got to be straight. You got to be honest. And, uh, I'm going to I'm going to have a look at the scoreboard now. And that was a good comment from the live YouTuber right now. So. It's pretty tightly bunched, except for I had a dream. It's all 60, 65, 70, 75. Um, bird limers, our very first submission, be inching just about ahead there. Let's have a look at the submissions list while our two wonderful guests take a final view on whether they want to change anything at all. Uh, bird limers by Chris. Goosling by Lily, The Observer by Andre, I Had a Dream by Nicole, and What You've Just Seen, a Rectum, off YouTube, straight away. Rectum ex finestram by Wayne, with a small w. Ali, this is the moment of truth. You can change, if you want to. One of your votes, up or down, but not sideways. What are you going to do? I'm going to go for sideways, actually. I'm staying where I am. You're sticking. Fair enough. Good. Louisa. You did express a little doubt there. You said you've been quite hard on one of the submissions. I did, but in retrospect, I think I was correctly hard on it. Um, I think that, yeah, I'm just going to stick with what I did. I'm going to go keep it as it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's great. And, um... It's up to you now. I don't know how you're going to vote. I honestly don't know how you're going to vote. It's going to be very difficult, actually. Um, but somehow, between now and next Sunday, when we go out again, you're going to have to do this. It's your job now. It's over to you. We've expressed our views. Important they may be. Unimportant they may be. Who knows? We just, I just work in the business, that's all. You buy the books. So your vote is paramount. And please do, do come and vote. Litopia.com slash vote. Or, alternatively, if you want, vote.litopia.com. Both of them will take you to the place that you need to be to express a view. I will be fascinated to see how it turns out this week. Quite a polarising week. Thank you very much, Louisa. Isn't she great? Thank you, Ali, for not wearing the day pyjamas. Thank you, our wonderful narrators. Seriously, lift every submission beyond recognition sometimes. Thank you, the geniuses in the genius room. Thank you, everybody behind the scenes. Kate, Emily, Rachel, etc. 
Should we do it again next week, shall we? Would you like to? I would. See you then.